If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is Monday the 1st of June and I've got a lot of stuff to get through this week ahead of the interview with horror author Drew Starling, so let's dive right in. First things first, I am super excited to share with everyone that the Great Writers Alone miniseries is now officially live on the Great Writers Share Patreon page. Uh, I've been teasing this for weeks, but the six-episode miniseries is now in the hands of my patrons, and I can finally tell you a little bit more about what makes it so special. This miniseries is titled Rights and Wrongs, and takes an introspective look at the mistakes of two best-selling authors who have collected over a decade's worth of writing experience and made a number of errors along the way. In each 20-minute episode, we deep dive into a particular hot author topic and give you a ton of handy bits of advice, which we have learned the hard way so you don't have to. Topics we cover include book covers, genre expectations, marketing for authors, genre hopping, author brand, and bad behaviours for authors. So there's a lot of content there. But who is the co-host of this mini-series? I hear no one asks because I'm sat in a room by myself. Um, I am incredibly excited to announce that the sensational best-selling author of The Jenkins Cycle, This Dark Age, and The Chronicles of Ethan, John L. Monk, is my partner in crime for this series. John has been in the game since 2013 and was a previous guest on the show. Check out episode number 24. I've got huge respect for John as a writer, having read several of his books and seeing the talent that he is. So I could think of no one better for joining me in kickstarting the Great Writers Learn content. As I mentioned, all two hours worth of content is available on the Patreon page. So if you want to check it out, just visit www.patreon.com forward slash Great Writers Share. And there you can get involved in not just the Great Writers Learn content, but the Slack community, early release episodes, and so much more. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Great Writers Share. Wow, that was a long fall. <laughs> my, uh, my second update comes in the form of a book recommendation and a huge congratulations to Sasha Black, who launched her brand new book last Friday, The Anatomy of Prose, 12 Steps to Sensational Sentences, got a well-deserved number one new release. And as someone who was lucky enough to receive an advanced copy of the book, uh, it's honestly worth every penny. It's one of those reference books you need just sitting on your shelf to up your craft and act as a guide for when you get stuck or want to clean up your prose. Congratulations, Sasha. And for anyone who wants to get themselves a copy, I'll drop a link in the show notes. One last quick update from myself, uh, which is that this month I will be ramping up the promotion for my collaboration for Authors Book. Uh, I've never launched a non-fiction book, so it's going to be interesting to see what I learn along the way and to see the connections I make. 
um, and just to see how it perform in the end. Um, and as well as that, I'm looking into launch plans for my horror serial when winter comes as I chip away at episode number two. Uh, I've got a lot of editing to do on episode one as I've been rereading through it and just picking up some of the bits I want to tweak. Um, so I'm tentatively looking at an early July release. So fingers crossed I can make it happen, but we will see. A quick reminder that if you want to learn how to supercharge your scenes, then Jay Thorne is hosting a free five-day online event in which he'll take you through all the principles you need to write and revise compelling scenes that will exponentially improve your novel or non-fiction book. It's not mutually exclusive. There's narrative in all of it and you will ramp it up in this course. The course is running from the 15th to 19th of June and if you want to get involved, there'll be a link in the show notes for you to click straight on through. Last week, I asked the question, how do you find you're happy? And I wanted to quickly shout out to Meg Jolly, who says, I keep myself sane with alone time, outside time, and creative time these days. And I totally get that. I, I think alone time is so undervalued um, by a lot of people. And it's obviously really difficult in these current times. Um, but also the impact that not having creative output can actually take on your on your soul um, is, is very difficult. So I definitely empathise with you there, Meg. And hopefully you can keep pushing on through and uh, find that alone time, find that creative time and keep finding you're happy. Now to the bit you've all been waiting for. <laughs> this week's guest is the humble horror author, Drew Starling. I mentioned this in the episode, but Drew and I first connected when he reached out on Facebook to ask questions about writing in the horror genre. Um, I get these kind of questions all the time, but there was something in the way that Drew asked that just hit the right tone with me. Uh, and it's easy, it's very, very easy to ask something like that in the wrong way. But he asked in the right way. And after digging a little bit more into Drew's journey, I definitely wanted to get him on the podcast. Uh, as someone who's in the early stages of his career, having published his first short story in an anthology at the end of 2019, Drew acts as a great avatar for anyone looking to build a reputation and start to make waves in their genre. We dive into a whole host of topics in this interview, including how Drew is harnessing the medium of the short story to build a reputation after being featured in a dozen anthologies over the last eight to nine months. We talk about the benefits of real-time feedback from authors and readers, as well as how online communities are a great way to emotionally insulate yourself from the harsh inevitability of criticism and rejection. One additional bonus that Drew kept very quiet until the end of the interview um, and that I'm deeply appreciative for is that Drew has written a short story specifically for you, the listeners of the Great Writers Share podcast. If you want to check out Drew's talents and you can grab a free exclusive short story by heading over to www.drewstarling.com forward slash Dan and I will put a link to that in the show notes and thank you again for that, Drew. Based off the content of this week's interview, I'm posing the question to you. What systems do you use to gain real-time feedback? Let me know on Facebook or on the Patreon page. And now, without any further ado, let's dive into the interview with the one and the only Drew Starling. Enjoy. Drew Starling is an Amazon best-selling author of horror and dark fiction, a husband and dog dad who loves strong female leads, martial arts, and long walks in the woods with canine companions. He would like to think his plots are better than his prose, but strives to make his words sound both beautiful and terrifying at the same time. He listens to Beethoven, Megadeth, and Enya when he writes. His only rule of writing, the dog never dies. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. I'm really pleased to be here. I'm excited to have you here. My first question for you is that you are a horror author with limits. Why does the dog never die? Um, well, I'm a dog lover and my wife, who uh, has reluctantly joined me on this quest, 
uh, <laughs> as I watch horror movies and read lots of horror fiction, um, needs to go to the website doesthedogdie.com every time we're about to watch something. And so she needs to at least know what's going to happen to the dog before we dive into something. Um, so I have tentatively made her the vow that I will not kill a dog in any of my work. But, you know, as a horror author, I think that you, uh, I'm probably going to have to break that rule at some point. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Just don't tell her. That's interesting. Is that, yeah, so that's exactly. a real website? The dog, does the dog die? Oh, yeah. Um, and you just type it in and, you know, it, it extends to cats and lizards and falcons and all of, you know, those things. Um, so, you know, if you're squeamish about any of that, you can go to doesthedogdie.com and figure that out. Um, if that's your bag, I don't like to know those things. I like to see the dog get <laughs> slashed to death. Sorry, Kara. <laughs> but, yeah, you no. know, that's part of what I love about it. Yeah. Spinning on this topic, what's your favorite dog death that you've seen? Oh my God. Well, I only asked that because I have one in my mind. (laughs) Oh, okay. Um, So my one, my, I'll I'll go go. first just to to get you off the hook a little bit. So so my favorite one, I say favorite because it's one that always sticks in my mind um, as a very, very effective scene in the film. And that's uh, I Am Legend. Oh, okay. I have not seen that actually. Ah, so I'll I'll choose not to spoil it, but if you do get the chance to watch it, uh, but it's quite a dramatic and emotionally resonant dog death. I saw The Lodge recently. It's a horror film that came out, I think, last year. Have you seen that? I haven't, no. I will not spoil that for you as well, but the dog (laughs) dies. um, And I think they did that pretty well. Um, I will leave it at that. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll we'll move away from dog death because I feel like we probably lost some listeners already. <laughs> um, but you, uh, just for my uh, audience who may not be aware of you, um, can you give us a little bit of an overview about your writing journey and how you've gotten to where you are today? Sure. Um, I guess I should start. I'll try and make it quick, just by saying that you know I've always been sort of artistically inclined. Whether it was doing drama and um, in high school, I was in you know, music bands in college. Uh, I've always kind of had, and through all of that, I've just loved good stories and I've um, tried as as best I could to maintain reading, um, you know, through all my sort of various life stages. But in the last couple of years, really picked up um, reading again and reading really great fiction stories. And I had had this story kicking around in my head. Um, I'd always liked horror too. Um, I grew up watching the X Files, like sneak watching it in in my parents' like kitchen and the little TV. Um, I read my first Stephen King when I was at camp, and it scared the crap out of me. And I can still remember where I was. That kind of Which thing. One was so it? I loved that. It, um, nice. yeah, and it was, it was wild. Um, <laughs> so I'd always like had the elements floating around. Um, but it wasn't until I got an idea for a story, um, when I was at a cabin in the woods, um, with some friends, as we do every year, we go out to this beautiful cabin secluded in the woods and I won't say anything more about it, but I got this idea that kind of just percolated in my head for a year or two until I decided just one day to write it down. And, um, that's, I guess, the first half. The second half is I decided, well, I don't know what to do with this. So maybe I'll just like post it on like a Reddit forum or something. So I, f- I stumbled upon um, No Sleep, which is a really pop, I'm sure most of your listeners know, but if not, it's a really popular Reddit forum um, that, you know, long story short, publishes short stories, um, scares short stories. 
and I wasn't quite sure if my story was going to fit the, you know, the tone of the the forum. So I went to their Facebook group and asked them, like, "Hey, would you would anybody like to read this to tell to tell me whether or not I should post it?" And surprisingly, a couple people like jumped at the fact of reading someone's completely like they had never heard of me before at all. It could have been terrible, <laughs> and it was terrible at the time. Um, but they just jumped right out and wanted to read it and wanted to give me feedback. And that was the start of a journey of me discovering, frankly, through Facebook, all of these author communities, which have, um, you know, I tell my friends who are trying to understand, like, how are you a published author? Like, isn't that really hard? And it's a little bit of a long story, as you know, because, um, you know, one of the things is that these communities, these online communities have um, made it so incredibly, I won't say easy, but um, emotionally insulating (laughs) to publish and get your work reviewed. And um, I was shocked at how great those communities were. And so I just kind of got swept up in that, Um, eventually made the decision to turn that into a novel, which I just finished the draft of, and it's with my editor. Um, I had some good, I guess, alpha reader feedback. And so it's with my editor now. And I just finished the outline for the sequel. So I'm also trying to I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the rapid release, quote unquote rapid, but um, I want to try and make this a two-part series and and see how that does. Um, And uh, I've been writing a smattering of short stories kind of in between to sort of get myself out there a little bit and and also just get practice. Um, I've found that writing short stories of various forms has been an amazing way for me to practice writing. Um, And, you know, Besides that, I'm just trying to hold down a job and keep a marriage and maintain a life in between it. So, you know, mm. I'm sure you're <laughs> quite familiar with all those struggles as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just for people listening, to put a little bit of context into this conversation, um, and I hope you don't mind me saying some of this stuff yeah. through, um, but obviously oh. you reached out to me on Facebook to ask a bunch of questions about um, within <laughs> exactly. a, a horror writers collaborative group. Um, and you asked a bunch of questions about various different things. I won't go into it. But one of the re- one of the things that struck me about you and one of the reasons I actually invited you onto the show is you you approach a lot of the asking or reaching out for help in in a way that I think a lot of people just miss. And there was definitely, um, there was like, I, I could sense the hunger in you to actually to write stories and to learn. Um, and I guess a humility as well to just admit that you don't know and that you are reaching out and asking for help. And, <laughs> and just, and I think that's a fantastic thing to have. And I think it's a, a great approach that, like I say, not enough people have. Um, I want to pick up on a term that you used a second ago, emotionally insulating, which I think is a fantastic phrase to use for that kind of community vibe and how if you are thinking of writing you can jump into these groups and there is a network of people that understand the plights of the writer and can help you on the journey and obviously for you that was quite a a big factor in terms of putting stories out and and building up um, your collection of short stories which we'll definitely go into because I'm I'm definitely interested in that. One one question I do want to come to is you you mentioned that you came up with this idea for a book um, or a story when you're in the cabin in the woods, which in itself is, is a story. <laughs> and uh, you said it took about two years of, of sort of percolating and thinking about that before you put it on paper. What what was the instigator that made you first go, okay, I'm actually going to write this story now? This is going to sound really blasphemous, but it was reading a Stephen King book again for the first time in probably a year. And Stephen King, as I'm sure you and all your listeners know, um, at least as I interpret it, has this ability to tell incredibly 
um, great horror stories, but make it look really easy. Mm-hmm. I think it it <laughs> looks really easy when I'm reading his his words. And then I read some books, and I won't name their titles, which were frankly really bad, and not not they weren't they weren't even horror. I, I kind of read a bunch of stuff, and I kind of just got around to thinking like I could probably do that. Um, and you know what I've been telling my friends about this novel that I'm writing is that if somebody ever calls it a Stephen King knockoff. I'll be honored for the rest of my life because that's kind of like what I'm shooting for. Like if I can do something 25% as good as Stephen King, like I'd be pretty happy with that. I mean, at least now. So it was really through reading and through understanding different writing styles. Um, There are also some authors that I really love who I read and I know that I cannot do that. Um, And I would love to get to that level, but I don't know that I ever will. Um, somebody like Cormac McCarthy, um, mm-hmm. who is his writing style, his sort of minimalist, every page looks like a piece of art without, you know, no periods. Each page also takes about 25 minutes to get through for me because I'm kind of slow. M.K. Um, Jemison is a fantasy writer who wrote this amazing trilogy all in the second person um, and oh, wow. infuses her own um, sort of humor into it and I just, you know, some of the stuff I'm in awe of. Um, Stephen King, I probably should have a little bit more straight reverence for, but maybe the way that I'm revering him is by saying that, like, he just makes it look really easy. I don't know if you watch the NBA, but it's like watching LeBron James play. It's like, oh, you're just, I could do that, but wait, no, I'm not built at all like you. I know it's made me not a good analogy, but it was really just through reading some some other things. Mm. And was that a, you said it was one of his stories. Was it a particular story that you picked up on that pushed you in that direction? Yeah, it was The Outsider. Um, oh, and yes. The Outsiders, and yeah. Uh, and they just made that show, which... Um, have, have you watched it? You know, I have watched the show. Do you want to get into that? or uh, we, 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 we could take a two-minute tangent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, now, I, yeah. What, what did you think of it? <laughs> um, again, I'll try to make this brief, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't quite still know what to make of it only because I really enjoyed the book. If there's one criticism I have of the book and of King generally is that sometimes it feels like there's not enough horror in it, or maybe the horror takes a little bit too long to get to, or there's Mm -hmm. sort of meandering plot. And I actually thought the TV series did a great job of minimizing that. And I, spoiler alert, I'm not going to say anything, the, the way they closed it, um, and especially uh, the, the, the sort of um, the beginning of the final third, which I thought was very different from the book. I really mm-hmm. liked the way they did that. So I was a little surprised. And obviously, as you know, not all of King's adaptations land on television. And I right. thought they did a good job with this one. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think uh, the, two, the two King books they've adapted well are The Outsider and Mr. Mercedes. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Miss Mercedes, I very, very much loved. But The Outsider, I think, I, I agree. There's, there was something slightly, like the book was good, but there was something slightly lacking. And I think they closed that gap and the casting and everything yeah. in, in the TV show was fantastic. Um, but yeah, sorry, you were saying that was the story that, that propelled you forward into, into writing. Yeah, I was really excited reading that book. Um, and I don't, I mean, I just, I don't even think it's one of his, it, I wouldn't even put it in my top five of his Um but I, I think I just read it at the right time. I had read some stories again before that that were sort of in my head, and I had just explored the idea of putting something down. Um, so I think just a combination of those things was like, all right, I'm going to just start typing. 
And as you mentioned, you went from writing short stories and now you're in the process of writing your first novel. What is it about the short story format that that took you and talk a little bit about, because you're in quite a lot of anthologies and a lot of collections through various different presses. We've got Black Hair, Suicide House Publishing, Erie River Publishing, um, and a few others which have all hit the best-selling lists on Amazon. Um, So what did that journey look like for you and how did you approach submitting those stories and, and getting them out there? So it was totally by mistake. Um, <laughs> I joined these Facebook groups um, and I got into these communities and I really was in awe of sort of the community and, and the way that they participated. And, and they were really centered around these short story anthologies. So they will put out call outs three times a year and their community, um, you know, will submit to things. Um, and obviously it's open for everybody. Um, and you know, they encouraged me to submit to these things. And I was like, oh, wait, I don't know if I know how to tell a story about bugs on command, you know? Um, I don't know if I know how to write a story that's exactly 500 words about Christmas. Um, But I wanted to be, I wanted to participate and I wanted to um, read the, my friend's work as well. And I thought it was a really cool way to sort of just get a little bit of a cachet behind me. as opposed to just squirreling away on a novel alone. Um, I felt like it was a good way to like have some books on Amazon, even though I haven't written the whole thing. I'm like you said, I'm in all of these published books. Um, It's also something that I can turn up and dial down when I want to. So I took kind of a break from writing short stories really for the last three or four months to focus on the novel and use that time to promote the ones that I have out. Um, and it's also, you know, used typically that, you know, I'll send the story and then it'll take two or three months for it to get published anyway. So, Mm. um, I've kind of used it cyclically in a little bit of a way to fit my schedule. Um, and I, I was actually, I just wrote a little short story yesterday, um, which was the first time I'd written one in a long time, um, probably a couple of months and I got started on another one last night. So, while my draft of the novel is with my editor, I don't want to be not doing anything, but I also don't want to be tinkering with it because I don't know. I just don't want to be tinkering with it. And mm. I also don't want to start the draft of the second novel until my editor reads the outline. So <laughs> I want to do something. So I should maybe think about doing more short stories. So um, it's been a really great experience. Yeah. It sounds like a great uh, palate cleanser. And uh, I will quickly note, just for anyone who can hear in the background, I've got some kids in the street that are just shouting. So I apologize. Oh, nice. for any- <laughs> I apologize for any of that if it interrupts anything, but I don't think it should. I'll just I'll just address that. Um, yeah, no, I think short stories are a fantastic way to um, definitely build up build up that craft, get used to different structures, formats, how to tell a story in a compact way. One thing I've got no I've got no evidence of this, um, so I, I probably will offend a lot of people. Um, but one thing I have noticed is that short stories do seem to be very very rife in the horror genre, and I'm not sure whether or not that translates over into other genres as well, um, because there seems to be a lot of, from what I've seen, and it's probably because I'm embedded in the horror community anyway, is that you have people like the No Sleep podcast, you have people like uh, um, mm. Welcome to Night Vale, you've got my podcast, the other stories. Uh, you've got all these different short story forms. You've got submissions from obviously the houses you've all um, you've submitted to, and there's there's so many opportunities just to get out there and to get your your name out there somewhat and start like you say building up that reputation. So I think that's a really good way to to start that journey. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I think you're right. Um, I've definitely seen 
sci-fi uh, paranormal romance. I, I submitted to a paranormal romance thing yesterday, I, Dan. I don't know what came over me, but I wrote this like <laughs> weird poem about robots. It, so yeah, they're out there. I don't do that. I don't think I'm good at it. I'm trying to like build those muscles a little bit and I stick to horror generally, but I wonder if it's because people don't maybe have the, people who want that scare maybe don't have the patience to wade through a, an entire Stephen King novel or, um, you know, I think about when I'm watching horror movies, I've watched so many damn horror movies that like <laughs> I'm become so picky and so desensitized that the idea of sitting through something for an hour and a half, that's not going to scare me or probably isn't going to scare me is really something I don't want to do anymore. Yeah. So if there's like a 5,000 word thing that is, has just as good of a chance of scaring me, maybe I'll deviate towards that because as you know, the, the idea of the feelings that you get conjured up when you're reading or watching something scary are really different than other, you know, feelings of like love or forlorn that might be lingering over a long period of time. Like a scare to me is something that's really transactional and physical and visceral almost that um, if you can just package that and like put in a little pill that I can just take, like, that's what I want. Give me more of that. That I'll get addicted to, (laughs) so to speak. Um, I wonder if that's why. If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. Yeah, and it's so it's so amazing to do that with with words. It's one of the reasons I love horror is that you can literally create these emotions, these reactions with nothing more than words. And I think I think it's incredible. Have you have you read uh, Chuck Palahniuk's short story Guts? Uh, no, I don't think I definitely know. I definitely know that author though. Yeah, he well, he's a guy that wrote Fight Club, but he did a short, um, a short sort of. I, I wouldn't even count it as horror, but it's it's basically mm-hmm. a, a short story that's famed for making people pass out. So any any brave listeners who want to go and check that out, I'll put a link in the show Beautiful. notes. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend it because it it, it made me queasy. Um, <laughs> so all of all of the works that have come out in the last eight nine months, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff there that obviously has your name on. And what I'd like to do is pull from that a little bit for anyone who might be thinking about writing or looking at where to start and maybe they're overwhelmed with the idea of writing that first novel. How did you approach the process? I know you said obviously you were in the Facebook groups and some of these opportunities got launched at you, but there is a certain tact and a certain method in submitting the short stories and trying to maximize your chances of getting them accepted into anthologies. So was there, were there any particular, do you have any particular tips that you'd share with people, anything that you did that you think contributed to the success of getting in? Because I think if I'm right in counting, it's about nine, eight or nine anthologies. At least. Yeah, I think it's, I think so. I actually don't know off the top of my head. It's, it's definitely around there. Mm. Um, you know, it's sort of, um, with my, along with my first answer, um, the other thing that these communities provide is real-time feedback for free. And I wouldn't have gotten any of these things submitted, especially the first few, had I not run them by authors who, and, you know, exchange sort of a like for like, like, hey, I'll review yours if you review mine. Um, And I got some incredible feedback. 
you know, things like this ending sucks, make it better. Um, things like, I don't understand what this character is doing. Cut that person, you know, real feedback, not just, oh, that's great. Good job. Good luck. And it was invaluable, especially at the beginning. Um, so I think if I had one piece of advice, it would be again, to sort of find maybe a community of authors who write in your genre, um, who, you can use for feedback on things because I still rely on it heavily today. Um, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm not, the, I'm not even like an expert at any of this, but um, everything I write is reviewed by at least two or three people um, that are not my wife, uh, <laughs> even though she reviews most everything. And that's been incredibly helpful. Mm. And how, how has your process changed now that you've gone from writing the short stories to finishing the first draft of your, your first novel? Yeah. Um, well, I learned kind of the hard <laughs> way that the no writing a novel is a lot different than writing a short story. Um, when I first sat down to write the novel, I just blurted it out. And frankly, it was terrible. Um, and I knew that kind of. Um, but I also knew in my head what I think, what I'm, what I'm pretty sure that the elements of a good novel, I did some research on it too. Um, there's a really cool service called story grid. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they've got some really great. Yeah. Yeah. They've got some really great resources on it. And so I had read enough good novels. I had watched enough good movies. I have seen and heard and consumed enough good stories to know the nuances of what makes one good versus bad to at least get something that was passable. Um, but I did it through really sort of extensive rewrites and re-edits and only halfway through did I do an outline <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm somebody who in my day job relies on organizational systems and things like outlines and, you know, that, that kind of, those kind of tools. I love that kind of stuff. And I depend on that kind of stuff. And once I got the outline to use as my anchor, then it really became easier to swim around and find places and fix things. Um, and also to get feedback on it too, you know, because I was like really timid about asking people to review a 78,000 word piece of work that could have been terrible. Um, and, you know, I gave them the outline and said, if you want to read this outline first, it might give you an idea or whatever. And so it was really helpful in that way too. So I've now taken to outlining my short stories, um, which might seem like overkill, but I actually will just blot out like if, if I know what the word count is, going to be maybe it's 2000 words maybe it's 10000 words maybe if it's 5 my my range seems to be somewhere in the 5 range i i like that range of story mm. then i'll start with okay i'm going to have it you know move in three or four different parts or maybe five or six parts so what are those parts going to be so first this happens second that happens third this happens fourth that happens and really that should be there shouldn't be much more i think in a short story than maybe three or four major things that happen mm. um and then really just sort of building around that. Um, so, you know, it, I guess, isn't all that dissimilar from plotting out a novel. If there is like, you know, to steal the story grid thing, if there's a beginning hook, what is that hook? If there is a middle build, how are you building that tension? Is there a climactical event at the end? Um, and then what are the things that build itself around that instead of, you know, packing those anchors with like a mountain of dirt like you would with a novel, it's just kind of gathering a little bit of stuff to bolster them and making sure it feels tight. Uh, 
so anyway, I, I guess my approach has changed in that regard. Mm. Now, I always find uh, people's outlining processes quite interesting. I spoke to um, Claire Littlemore on a previous episode about her specifically after getting halfway through a, a quadrilogy and realizing she needed to re-outline the whole thing. Um, oh yeah. what, what is it about StoryGrid that appealed to you? Because StoryGrid, from what I understand of it, it's, it's obviously, it, it maps out um, the positives and negatives, the, the entire route. It's got, it's got its own structure built off of a lot of the structures <laughs> of previous templates. But then for me, it can get quite granular into, you know, picking the charges of the beginning, the middle and the end of each individual scene. And for some people that works yeah. absolutely fine. I know for me it doesn't. Um, but what was it about StoryGrid that attracted you into some yeah. of that education? So I'm, I'm one of those guys who is kind of just wired towards like spreadsheets and detail and, and all, of, all of that. Um, in my day job, I, I will spend hours like working on and designing like a spreadsheet, which is ridiculous. They're like a PowerPoint, um, which is a waste of time. But, you know, I like things to look good and feel crisp and all that. And I had done an outline in Google Docs um, in a spreadsheet that, emulated a lot of the story grid elements and so then when i saw the um i forget his name the guy's name who started story grid but this uh, spreadsheet that he, yes yes uh, sean coin when i saw his version of the spreadsheet that that they were using it was really like a souped up version of the thing that i had already created and so i knew mine was kind of sloppy um but it didn't have things like plus and negative it didn't have um one thing that I felt really that I really liked is his spreadsheets have um, a column for I think he calls it just the action, and mm. in three or four words you need to say what actually happens in that scene, and if you can't come up with anything that actually happens in that scene, how this moves the story forward, then just get rid of it. Um, I, I cut like four or five scenes that way, just realizing like okay nothing actually happens here. I'm going to get rid <laughs> of that, um, and it also helped me really codify what the action is in each of my scenes. Um, so I like that sort of left brain clinical approach to things when I can. Um, and I had been, you know, I'd heard, I hear all these amazing stories about all these authors who are really gifted people and who just sit down and go into a frenzy writing and then they just have a finished product. And I'm 35 years old. I've done a lot of different things in my life. None of them have been that way. So that's not going to be how I write a novel. And I'm lucky to know that about myself. So mm. when I found a tool that I felt fit me, <laughs> I gravitated towards it. Perfect. Did you end up buying the book? Uh, yeah, for sure. Nice. Is it a big volume? Um, what do you mean by big? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> this is a weird so I've, I've looked at buying it a couple of times, but in my head, for some reason, I, because of the process itself, like you say, it, it can come across quite clinical. In my head, I imagine the book to be about 600 pages and to be fantastic as like a doorstop. Yeah, I didn't really read it. Yeah, I don't remember how many pages it is because I didn't really read it that way. I read it, I like jumped around a lot. It's, it's gotcha. more, it's like a reference book in that. I mean, or at least that's how I read it. Maybe I wasn't supposed to do it that way. I could have created the world's worst story grid too. So don't take my word for this. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I don't know, but it is definitely in depth and, you know, it feels like homework. It, it feels like work because mm. it is. And I've, you know, very often was like, God, this is overkill. And I just don't want to like, should I put two plus signs or one plus sign here? And like, it's, you have to know, I guess, within yourself, not to get too down any rabbit hole, any one rabbit mm. hole, but ultimately I was able to get through it. Um, and it helped me a lot. Yeah. 
No, I think uh, one thing as well on top of that is that most when you when you start writing or in the early early times of writing anyway, it does feel like work a lot of the time, and I think a lot of people yeah. feel like it shouldn't. Um, but obviously, you're you're developing a skill, you're you're practicing something that I mean, no one in their life really well, no one in their life, most people don't get to twenty, thirty, forty, and have written several novels. So that first novel, that first short story, it's going to feel like work. So um, I think that's just something that people need to get used to sometimes when they're starting out writing. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned a couple of times, obviously, you are uh, working a full-time job as well as doing all this writing stuff. What does your daily process look like? How do you get the words in? I was afraid you were going to ask that. Um, (laughs) There's no right answer. Yeah. It's something that I really struggle with and I don't have a good answer and I don't have control over it in a way that I am comfortable with. And um, I'm really undisciplined about it, to be totally honest, or at least I think I am. Um, I I don't have the discipline to say, okay, I'm going to do... I will say that since the pandemic has hit, um, things have changed a little bit and I happen to be lucky enough to be one of the people who's fallen on the it's been more productive for me side. I know there's a lot on the, it's been less productive for me side. And I was actually there for a long time. Um, But I have a tendency to fill my life as I'm sure, you know, as a father um, and I don't even have any children. I just fill my life with a bunch of all kinds of crap. (laughs) So, you know, not only do I have my job, but I have like, um, you know, like you, you heard in my intro, I'm really into martial arts. So I'm trying to do that two or three times a week, although I haven't been doing that lately at all. Um, a bunch of stuff like that, that I'm still involved in that I feel like are again, really important parts of who I am and are really important outlets for me outside of just a creative outlet. And so I'll, I'll kind of go through like weeks or months where it's hot and then weeks or months where it's cold. Hmm. And it, it, I just don't know. I don't know how to control it, but um, you know, I, when I feel like I have something, I'll just try and see it through because I know that like, I might wake up tomorrow and not feel like writing at all and won't have the discipline to make myself do it. So I don't have a great answer for you on that, but it's something that I really struggle with. Mm. But you're obviously, like I say, getting to a point where you've, you've got all these anthologies behind your back. So there's, there's some kind of progress there. So it might just be your process. And I think not everyone has to be super disciplined and, you know, write every single day. I guess a lot of it depends on uh, knowing yourself understanding what you want out of your writing and you know if it's if it's a point where you are getting words and you have got you know you finish a novel there's there's nothing wrong with being a bit more sporadic with your writing what does a what does a good writing day look like for you um hmm it's a great question i guess it could take a number of forms i mean a good writing day for me could be banging out three thousand words um you know the short story that i'm working on now is um i yesterday was a great writing day Okay, so I was able to write this paranormal romance thing, which <laughs> was really sort of an outlet for me for, be totally honest, this video game that I played that I really loved and was really thinking about and wanted to extend the life of it in my head some in some way. So I wrote a, I wrote something about it, not it, but, you know, inspired by it. And that felt really good. And it just, since the story had already kind of formed in my mind, it was really easy to just blurt out. And that got me kind of, inspired to write this other idea that had been percolating in my head for months about the short story that I've been dreading writing. And I got 500 words done of that. And that felt like a lot because it had been, like I said, percolating in my head for 
months and I was afraid to start writing it or I didn't know what to do or I'm not sure why I didn't, but I just didn't. But once I got a little bit on the page, now today I've written 3,000 more words on the back of that story. Nice. And I have to keep reminding myself that if you just start, if you just put something down, good things tend to happen. Um, those little floodgates in all of those little different directions that your story could go in really open up when you actually start writing and stop thinking about it, at least for me. Um, another good mar- a, a good day could be me um, you know, going through uh, my mailing list or my Facebook group or whatever it might be or some of these marketing tools and really getting a handle on something there. That feels really good to me or like making a bunch of website updates. Um, I feel the same sort of sense of satisfaction after a day like that than I do after a day like yesterday where I made a bunch of, you know, put a bunch of words down. So um, today will be a good writing day because I'm talking to you, you know, this is something. So I I kind of think of all of these things as elements of my writing, um, which are all equally important. So um, I think that's another thing that I try to do too, is be gentle with myself on like things like word counts, even though, mm. you know, I hear about people that just put up three, 5,000 words a day and, you know, I'm just not at that point And I know that. So what are the other things that I can be doing to supplement? Yeah. I'm definitely guilty of being a person that has traditionally tried to measure a successful day in words. And you, you oh, said yeah. what you're saying, like the last couple of weeks, particularly with Corona gate and everything else, um, I'm, I'm very like, I'll, I'll sit and I'll, if I don't get my word counts in because I've, you know, I've recorded a podcast episode, I've had to edit a podcast episode. I'm doing all these other yeah. things connected to writing, which take, it can take hours at a time, oh, but yeah, then I still measure that success in words. And I've, I've started easing away from that a bit more because you're right. Everything, everything that you do does count in some way towards the bigger picture. Um, it's just all about balance and trying to just find the right things that are pushing you in the right direction. Um, you've mentioned your wife a couple of times, which I find really, really interesting because you mentioned at the beginning um, that you reluctantly or she reluctantly is joining you on a, a horror quest to, uh, if I understand right, watch watch horror videos. And you mentioned about um, her support as well in in writing as well. How how instrumental is your wife to the journey that you're currently on? She has been incredibly instrumental in multiple ways. Not only has she been watching horror movies, but she... I force her to review everything I write, even if it's like a sentence and she does it gladly. Um, she gives me as, as good feedback as anybody can. She's the first line of defense for anything that I put out, anything that I submit. She actually co-authored a short story with me around Christmas time, um, which was a real delight. Mm. Um, that either way. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, it was actually really fun. Um, and then there's another element is is that she is actually a professional voiceover artist. Um, so I'm actually, I don't know if I know how to use these things correctly, but I'm recording in her booth right now and trying to use her mics and all that. But anyway, she has done audiobooks, She's done, um, you know, things like that, podcasts. So I luckily, and again, I'm thinking about what are the things that I have that I should take it what are the opportunities that i have that i can take advantage of um as an author like i can get free audiobooks um Mm. from a professional so she's going to help me there (laughs) um (laughs) which she has already committed to verbally um i might certainly (laughs) have to give her a lot in return but i'm very willing to do that nice um so she's been just amazing and i 
I, I really am, am happy that she is someone who's artistically inclined to and kind of just gets it in that regard. Mm. It's always interesting hearing uh, how, how people and their partners work because I've, uh, I'm single at the minute, but I've been in previous relationships where well, I'm yet to be in a relationship in which my partner, not that they weren't supportive, but in that they're mm. an active part of that as well, because, you know, they'll happily say, oh, you know, Dan's doing his thing, but it will never be a case of, can I read this? Can I help? And um, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that support is is really sort of boosting in terms of just keeping you rolling. Yeah, I've, I've heard people, I think I was listening to another podcast and the woman's, one of the hosts was like, yeah, I write and then my husband does all the marketing. And I'm like, oh my God, how'd you get mm. that deal? <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that right there is the ideal. If you can like create, a, you know, basically an FTE out of your spouse that'd be mm-hmm. that's what I'm aiming for ultimately <laughs> we'll never achieve I'll Just be working for her honestly yeah and what what is this quest to to power through horror films oh it's nothing formal I mean I just <laughs> like to I just like them um mm-hmm. and if I'm gonna sit down and watch a movie although I do that less these days I'm gonna want to watch something that's in the horror genre generally speaking because um, I don't know. I just, I like them. Um, yeah. So she's learned to like them as well. And we sort of critique them together. And um, it's a like weird thing, you know, that like not a lot of my friends like horror and I do, and I'm okay with that. And I love that she's kind of gone on that journey with me. It's felt really special. And, um, you know, I think she's gotten some enjoyment out of it too. Although I think you'd have to ask her directly. <laughs> She'll be honest. Um, so yeah, nothing really formal. We just like to watch them. Nice. We are unfortunately coming close to time, but I've got a couple more. Well, I've got one more main question for you before we go into the Patreon questions. Um, and my first question, well, let me try that again. My, my question to you is, why do you, Drew Starling, write? Um, because it's a creative outlet that I know I need to have in order to lead a balanced life. Nice and simple. I love it. Okay, so I've got a Patreon question for you, which was sent over by one of my patrons over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share. And Ian J. Middleton asks, what must read books would you put on a horror writer's reading list? Oh, man. Okay. Um, Well, it could be all Stephen King. Um, (laughs) Easy. Yeah. No, I mean, it shouldn't be, though. Um, it there it has to start there though i would say my favorite is the shining of his um the movie's great but the book i think is especially if you're an author mm. <laughs> read the shining um i just think it's a good bit of context i'll leave it at that um i'm sure everyone knows the story mm. um it is another great one um the stand you know talk about where we are right now um <laughs> um I uh, just read uh, a little while ago um, a book called The Elementals by Michael McDowell, which is, uh, I think it was written in the early 80s, but is, um, I think, just a really good example of a concise, just, you know, I'm going to contradict what I said about King, but I really like stories that aren't overwhelmingly long. Um, (laughs) It's a great example of a kind of concise one. yeah, that'll be enough for now. Read Perfect. a few Stephen King and the Michael McDowell one, and that'll be a good start. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Elementals actually came into my peripheries a couple of weeks ago. I'm yet to get around to reading it, but I have to uh, pick that up. But yeah, if you start with Stephen King, you're going to just spend 
years. <laughs> totally. Awesome. Okay, so into the quick fire round now. I've got 10 questions that I'm going to throw at you as quickly as possible. It's all in fun, so feel free to pass if nothing comes to mind. Uh, otherwise, are you ready? Yeah. Beautiful. Werewolf or vampire? The, uh, werewolf. What's your favorite video game of all time? I'm going to say the video game that I just finished, which is Transistor. Um, I'll leave it at that. Nice. Do you have a preferred type of cake? Um, I like uh, chocolate icing with vanilla cake. Geysers or waterfalls? Waterfalls. When you put your socks on in the morning, are you a right or a left foot man? Right. How do you celebrate your successes? Very poorly and with little fanfare. Ah, same. Snakes or planes? Planes. Favorite writer? Cormac McCarthy. What are you currently reading? Um, I'm reading The Hillbilly Elegy um, by J.D. Vance. What's your favorite <laughs> song? Kind of horror. <laughs> uh, November Rain by Guns N' Roses. If you won a Pulitzer Prize this time tomorrow, who would be the first person you thanked on stage? Well, certainly my wife. Beautiful. And that's 10 questions. One bonus question. Where can my listeners find out everything about yourself and all that you're working on? So I actually created a, I have a exclusive short story for you guys. Um, if you go to drewstarling.com slash Dan, D-A-N, <laughs> um, you can download um, a short story that I just got the rights back to that was in an anthology that nobody has seen yet outside of the people who purchased the book. Um, so if you go to my website, drewstarling.com backslash Dan, um, you can download the story, get on my mailing list, and that's the best way to stay apprised of everything. Amazing. You heard it here first. That's never happened to me before. <laughs> thank you very much. It's not a... <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you very much, Drew, for coming on and joining me. It's been really, really interesting to talk to you. My pleasure. Thank you again for inviting me. No worries. And everyone check out Drew's stuff. Um, I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of him in the future. So it's definitely worth getting on board early. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. And I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by YouTube author sensation, Jenna Moresi. Don't forget, you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writers Share podcast, as well as access to the brand new Great Writers Learn miniseries, just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash Great Writers Share and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Great Writers Share. Until next time.